Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. As you may know, there are many responses people give to the gospel message. Some don't even really allow the message to sink in. They just move on with their usual activities. Others may think it's a wonderful message, for someone else, that is. They don't really feel their need of it themselves. Still others may claim to believe it, but it doesn't really affect their lives. You see, knowledge of the gospel message is not salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ made it clear that we need to do more with the gospel than listen and superficially agree. And what is that? He said that we need to repent, to change our minds about ourselves and about God. We need to agree with God that we are worthy of judgment and condemnation, and then believe God when he says that Christ has paid the debt required for our salvation. Christ sums it up in a few words, except you repent you shall all likewise perish. In today's broadcast, speaker Mr. Jack Hay explains the scriptural meaning of repentance and faith. We trust it will help you to truly repent of your sins and place your faith in the God who longs to save you. Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffer such things? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now further down the chapter at the end, verse 34, the words of the Lord Jesus, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me, until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now may God bless to us the reading of his own inspired word. There were people down from Galilee, and they'd been observing the religious ritual, and they'd been sacrificing there at Jerusalem, when Pontius Pilate and some of his soldiers came on the scene. These Galileans were slaughtered brutally, and their lifeless bodies were thrown onto the altar, and their blood mingled with their sacrifices. And those who told the Saviour about that incident were inferring these men must have been gross sinners for such a thing to happen. Luke said the Lord Jesus, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then he cited another incident. Eighteen men were standing underneath a tower in Siloam when suddenly there was a crack and a crash. And these people were crushed with the falling masonry And the Lord Jesus said, Do you think that they were sinners above everybody else in Jerusalem? 
I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And the Saviour was enunciating a very important principle, almost an ultimatum. I know we don't like ultimatums, but in a sense it was an ultimatum. The Lord Jesus was saying, repent or perish. My dear friend, if you're going to experience the forgiveness of sins, if you're going to know the salvation of your soul, if you're going to land safe on heaven's golden shore, you too need to repent of your sins. Now repentance means a willingness to turn from sin. You can't do it by your own power. We're all helpless. We're all flawed. We're all enslaved to sin. The Lord Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I don't know how often you've been attending these meetings. Maybe you've come and gone and come and gone and Maybe some nights as you've passed out through the door, you've said, you know, some of the things that fellow said tonight were away above my head. Just didn't understand too well. Look, I'm not speaking now about something that's away above your head. I'm speaking about something to which you can relate. There have been mornings when you have got up and you have said, I'm going to beat that sinful habit today. I'll conquer it once and for all. And the morning hasn't half gone when temptation has come your way and you've gone crashing down. The next day you said, well, I didn't do too well yesterday. But things will be different today. Today's the day. Same old story. And life becomes a succession of defeats and you wake up to the fact, I'm a slave in chains to the habits of sin. Whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. My dear friends, there's only one person who can liberate you, and that's the Lord Jesus. He's the Son of God, and he said, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And Christian folk love to sing, my chains are snapped, the bonds of sin are broken, and I am free. All at the triumphs of his grace be spoken, who died for me. So you cannot change your ways by self-effort. You need the Lord Jesus, but the point is, there has to be a willingness on your part to turn from sin. The Bible calls that repentance. And allied with repentance in the New Testament is this, faith in the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul preached about, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The dear Son of God left yonder glory. He was on a journey. In fact, this very chapter, Luke 13, speaks about the Lord Jesus on a journey. And he was journeying towards Jerusalem. That journey started away in the glory of heaven. It brought him to Bethlehem. I'll tell you this. There are some of you people sitting there who are so familiar with the nativity story that you've lost the weight of it. Think of it. The mighty creator of the universe... And he was put in a box from which animals took their food. What deep self-humiliation. The journey brought him to Bethlehem. The journey took him through all these streets and lanes of Galilee with a healing ministry and with preaching that was powerful. But the journey was taking him to Jerusalem. And here are, outside the city gates of old Jerusalem, he was spiked viciously, to a cross. I hope it touches your heart in the meeting tonight. Sometimes when we're preaching the gospel in the shopping precinct of our city of Perth, we sing hymns that we think people would maybe know. 
And one of the hymns we sing, and I love to sing it, and one of the verses says this, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin, then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. My dear friend in the meeting tonight, let it move you just to think that despite your waywardness and despite your sinfulness and despite your rebellion against God, God has loved you. And the Lord Jesus undertook that journey, died outside old Jerusalem in shame for our sins. But you know, the journey was a return journey. And for the salvation of my soul, I'm depending on the finished work of the Lord Jesus. What about you? I remember some years ago, I was visiting with a friend near Ballymena in Northern Ireland. We were visiting an old man who was suffering badly from Parkinson's disease. In fact, it was so bad that I could hardly make out what the old man was saying. But the friend who was with me said to him, Tell Jack how you got saved. The old fellow muttered something, and I could hardly make it out. But my friend interpreted for me. He said, He says, The work was done, and I rested there. The work was done, and I rested there. He finished the work, my friends. Before he died on the cross, he cried with a loud voice, It's finished. He did not say, I am finished. He wasn't finished. His journey was a return journey. Oh, they put him in a tomb. And then they rolled a stone to the door of that tomb and sealed it with the Roman seal. Dare anyone tamper with the waxen seal of imperial Rome. And then they set their guard of soldiers round about the sepulchre. Ladies and gentlemen, on the third morning, despite the stone, and despite the seal, and despite the soldiers, the tomb was empty. The Lord Jesus was alive from the dead. Oh, we don't preach it enough. I confess it, we don't preach it enough. You know, many years ago, in the city of Edinburgh, which is our capital city, a little fellow was looking in a shop window at a painting of the crucifixion. A Christian man came to his side and he started to quiz him about the picture. Who was the man on the cross? Why was he there? Why that crown of thorns on his head? And so on. And the little boy knew the story well. The whole story came tumbling out. Well, the Christian man was delighted to hear it and he went into his pocket and pulled out a coin and Put it in the little fellow's hand, you see, not all the Scotsmen are mean, you see. And then he went on his way. And a moment or two later, he heard the patter of feet behind him. And turning round, he saw the little boy all out of breath. He said, Mister, I almost forgot to tell you. He rose again. He rose again. Isn't it good to know, my friends, that the one who died in shame for our sins upon that old rugged cross rose from the dead? And that's why he's able to save you tonight. I tell you, you don't need an example to follow. You need a living Savior. And that living Savior is at God's right hand tonight. And because he's alive, he will hear an appeal for mercy. And because he's alive, he is able to channel into your life all the power that you need to live a victorious Christian life. He's able to do it. Because he's alive. And so we present in the preaching of the gospel a living saviour. And we tell you that the Lord Jesus is worthy of your trust. And so I say to you again, 
allied with repentance is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died, yes, but the one who is alive from the grave and he's able to save you because he ever lives, the Bible says. Ask you, have you ever repented of your sin? Has there ever been a time in your life when you realized, I'm a sinner who needs a saviour. And if he died for sinners, then he died for me. And I'm willing tonight to turn from my sin and put my trust in him who died and rose again. Have you had that experience? Or have you never yet repented? Listen to it then. Except you repent, you'll perish. Will you say sudden annihilation? I'm sorry, friend, it doesn't mean that. Total oblivion? It doesn't mean that. I don't want to shout about this, but I do want you to hear me. It means hell. It means eternal wretchedness. It means unending pain. It means eternal judgment. The Lord Jesus used the word perish to describe the end, the eternal judgment for those who refuse to repent. Now, I didn't have time, obviously, to read the whole chapter. But, you know, in the chapter, there's a story that illustrates the fact that he gives opportunity to repent. It's the story about a man who had a fig tree in a vineyard. And, you know, he came the first year looking for fruit, but no fruit. Came another year looking for fruit. No fruit. Came another year looking for fruit. No fruit. So he says to his man, look, cut it down. It's just wasting the ground. But the man who was tending the fig tree made an appeal. Give it one more opportunity. I'll dig round about it. I'll put in some manure. And then, if it brings forth fruit, good and well. But if not, then we'll cut it down. And it just illustrates God giving people opportunity to repent. He has been coming to your life, my friend. And he's looking for repentance. And he wants you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given you an opportunity and maybe another opportunity, and maybe another opportunity, and you've steeled yourself against the gracious appeal of the Lord Jesus, and the severity of God would say, cut it down. But the grace of God would say, give that man, give that woman one more opportunity to repent. How often has God been coming to you? Did you hear the gospel in Sunday school days? And yet you refused to repent and refused to believe. As you grew a little bit older and you maybe attended one or two meetings like this, did God speak to you again and still you didn't repent? How often has he been coming? He has been giving you opportunity to repent. But I beg of you, friend, do not trade on the patience of God. One of these days, his patience will peter out. I remember some years ago we were giving out some invitations and there were pictures on it. And the first picture was the picture of uh, a young couple, hand in hand, walking along, and the caption said, Too happy, too happy to think about God and eternity and getting right with God and being saved. Too happy. Now the next picture was of a man underneath what we would call the bonnet of the car. I don't think that's what you call it here, but he was in at the engine of the car. That's what I mean, anyway. And he looked harassed, and he was saying, there's the wife, and there's the house, the mortgage, and there's the kids, and 
The caption said, too busy, too busy. Too many things to do to think about this great issue of getting right with God. The third picture was that of an elderly gentleman, and he's sitting back in a rocking chair, and his eyes are half closed, and he's saying, too tired. There comes a stage when people get bowed down and weary, too tired to think about it. The fourth picture was that of an open grave, and it simply said, too late. Too late. Friend in the meeting, I appeal to you earnestly in God's name tonight. Don't put off this matter of getting right with God. He is giving you further opportunity. You've heard of a God who loved you. You've heard of a Savior who died and who rose again. The appeal has been made to you to repent and to believe in Him. And God comes looking for a response tonight. Will He eventually have to say, cut it down? At the end of the chapter, We have people, and, well, they're refusing to repent. Point blank, they're refusing to repent. The Lord Jesus was looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he said, how often I would have gathered you together, just like a hen gathering its chicks under its wings. And you would not. Well, it's not so much that they were having opportunity to repent, but it is that they are willfully rejecting that opportunity. And the Lord said, given you plenty of opportunities... But you put up the shutters, you wouldn't come to me. Is that how you've been behaving up until now? Oh, you know you should be saved. And as it were in your mind's eye, you've seen the Lord Jesus beckoning with a nail-scarred hand and saying, Come unto me. And yet you keep him at arm's length. I would, he said, but you would not. Many years ago, a gypsy encampment was making its way from one place to another. And en route they had to cross a kind of rickety bridge. And the first caravan got across safely. And in the second caravan there was a gypsy father and a mother and their boy, a young man. And just when the caravan was midstream, one of the girders of the bridge snapped and the bridge caved in. And the caravan with its three occupants fell into the fast-flowing stream. The father, he was able to swim a little and he managed to get to the bank of the river. The mother couldn't swim at all. The young man was quite a strong swimmer, so he swam to the side of his mother. She was trying to keep her head above the water. She was thrashing her arms, kicking with her legs, panic-stricken. He said, Mother, settle down. Don't panic. Relax. I'll take you safely to the bank. But you know, despite all his efforts to pacify her, still she thrashed her arms. He said, Mother, if you don't stop... We're both going to drown. But still she persisted. His strength was running out, and he had to leave her, and he just got to the bank. They dragged the river, recovered her body, held a little funeral service, and at the service the young man was seen to go over to the open grave, and with tears streaming down his cheeks, he was heard to say, Mother, I wanted to save you, but you wouldn't let me. I wanted to save you, but you wouldn't let me. In effect, that's what the Lord Jesus is saying to the people of Jerusalem. I wanted to save you. I wanted you to repent. I wanted you to believe. I would have gathered you, and I would have afforded you shelter from the judgment of God. I wanted to save you, but you wouldn't let me. Is that what he's saying to someone in the meeting tonight? In the middle of the chapter, there are people who want to repent, but they've put it off until it's too late. The language is figurative. 
It's a door, you see, a door of opportunity. If people repent and believe, it's as if they enter that door of opportunity and experience salvation. But they don't. And then eventually, the door is closed. Their opportunity is withdrawn. And now they come knocking at the door. Lord, Lord, open to us. You had your opportunity. But Lord, you know, we, we've eaten and drunk in your presence. We've been to Holy Communion, Lord. Ah, but you didn't repent and you didn't believe. Depart from me. But Lord, you've preached in our streets. And to use the modern equivalent, people in this congregation may be saying, Lord, when so many were involved with sport on a Sunday evening, or when so many were sitting in front of their televisions, we attended a gospel meeting, Lord. We went to a place where we could listen to the preaching of your word, Lord. But you didn't repent, and you didn't believe. And he says, depart from me. People who had opportunity to repent, and they wouldn't, and now they want to repent. But they've put it off until it was too late. I have a fear that there are many who once sat in front of me the way you did tonight, and they're in hell now. I don't suppose any of them intended to be lost. Likely, they intended to be in heaven, and they intended to be saved. But they put it off until it was too late. Now that is a tragic mistake that any one of you dear people can make. The Lord Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish. Now I do want to assure you, he doesn't want you to perish. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be saved. And now the responsibility rests firmly on your shoulders. What are you going to do? Some of you will leave as you came on the road that's leading you to hell. But wouldn't it be wonderful if just where you sit right now, a silent prayer wings its way from your heart to the throne of God, a prayer of confession, a prayer expressing your willingness to turn from sin, a prayer expressing your confidence in Christ to save you because he died and rose again, an appeal for his salvation. Lord, save me. That's the way Peter put it. And he promised, in quoting from the book of Joel, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it could happen just where you sit, right now. But should you neglect to do it, you'll perish. For except you repent, you'll perish. Yes, my friend, the Bible says that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you ever turned from your sin and from your hard thoughts of God? Have you ever had a time when you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? We trust that you will make today the day when you will accept God's wonderful provision, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for yourself. Only then can you be sure of peace with God, a home in heaven, and start on a life worth living. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. 
Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. 